0: and off on my mind for about 10 years now. And it's something you think about a lot in some sort of a youth group or as you grow up in church. Because as you grow up in church, uh, you begin to be surrounded by good friends who you go to camp with, who you listen to sermons with, who you spend time with. You study the Word. And uh, it's this very fun season of life where People start to make professions of faith. People start to say, I want to follow the Lord with my life. And we go to summer camps. We go to winter camps. And preachers challenge us to say, are you serving Christ with your life? And then my friends, people around me, would start to say and make goals and say, I'm going to change my life this year. I'm going to follow the Lord with my life. Or even, I'm becoming a Christian this year. Right? And then, uh, fast forward five, ten years, and you start to notice that many of these people who grew up with you sat in the same seats, went to the same camps, are nowhere to be found. And you start to notice, especially through the rise of social media, you start to notice that uh, many of these people who seem to be just like you uh, decided to walk walk away from Christ, or they decided to Maybe there was some sin, maybe there is some desire in their life that they didn't want to give up, and so they decide that Christ isn't for me. And sometimes even uh, they'll go so far as to say, I'm an atheist now. I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible's true. Uh, and they'll say uh, that I am no longer a Christian. And even um, in high school, one of the most influential books for me uh, that we read in youth group And it changed my life. I'm not joking. It changed my life. And yet it was written by a guy named Joshua Harris, a famous pastor, who decided to deconstruct his faith and say, I'm no longer a believer, right? And so uh, the logical question comes up through going through an experience like that. What is different about me? Can I lose my salvation? Can I be a Christian for a certain amount of time? And then can I change my mind? Can I say, this isn't for me? I'd rather go another direction. And so that is why uh, I have uh, struggled to find um, confidence in this area. And through the Scriptures, through studying the Scriptures, I am grateful uh, to see a strong answer that comes from the Bible. And today we're going to be looking at specifically the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking uh, through five key sections of the Gospel of John, and this is so that you might be convinced, and I would add strongly convinced, that once saved, you are always saved. So um, as we start, well, the first verse we are going to be is in uh, John 3, and if you want to pull up uh, kind of my roadmap for today, I have uh, just kind of the five, these are five reasons from the Gospel of John that a true believer can never lose their salvation. Um, before we get started, I just wanted to add in a couple notes about our study of eternal security, our study of why you, we cannot lose our salvation. A couple notes about this Bible study before we get started. Uh, the first note is this, is that um, do you today want the answer to be you can never lose your salvation? What, what do you guys want the answer to be? Do we want to be able to lose our salvation? No, right? And so I want to warn us against being biased to the text because we want the answer to be eternal security, right? I'm sure you see this all the time, where you'll talk to someone about a certain issue in the Bible, and they want it to be how their feelings, to line up with their feelings so bad that they'll ignore everything else. And we can't do that today. And then the second kind of note before we get started is, this is a, and I want to emphasize this, the Bible is very, very, very clear that you cannot lose your salvation, Um, but there are some difficult texts that we won't be going through today, texts like, the biggest one for me is a Hebrew 6, 4 through 6, it brings up topics that it makes it sound like, at surface level, you can lose your salvation. So, the point of that, I guess, is just to let you know. That that's out there, people will bring that up to you, and that this general topic is super important to study in the Bible because of the confusion around it, right? So uh, let's get started. Before we get started, let's bow our heads and let's pray that God would give us focus and honesty as we study this topic. Um, Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. I thank you so much for giving us your word specifically, the Gospel of John today, that we could understand uh, the question of eternal security. Uh, can we fall away from the faith? Is it possible for someone to genuinely be saved and yet turn away from you and lose this life that we are given, Lord? And so we pray for focus today. We pray uh, that you would change our hearts to see your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, let's go to our first point of today. We have John 3, uh, 36 is our first verse. This type of verse, uh, I could go to quite a few places through John 3 and John 5 that talks about this. And this is my simplest point of the day. If someone asked you, can a believer lose your salvation? And this is just a basic question. They haven't studied this whatsoever. I believe this is the first answer we should give. Uh, This is verse 36. It says this, whoever believes in the Son. Has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So, my first point, my first reason that you cannot lose your salvation is very simple eternal life is eternal, right? Kind of catchy and simple, right? Do you love that? Um, I like simple answers, and the Bible gives us a simple answer. The simple answer is this, is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. Um, Sometimes people get confused by the simplicity of how John explains this. Uh, Some people might say, isn't it so great that when you become a believer, you're now living the good life. You're now living this quality of life that's amazing because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The answer is that is absolutely true, but they ignore the fact that eternal is a time word. Eternal, if you study this, there's no way to get around this. There's no way to avoid this if you study the word eternal. This means forever. This means never-ending life. And it sounds so simple, right? But uh, it says that whoever believes, when you believe Eternal life is yours. And this is going to be a theme of this point. It is not you could have eternal life. What does the verse say? You have eternal life. And again, uh, this point, I love the simplicity of it. Um, as, we, as I chose John uh, 3.36, there's a couple really important reasons why I chose this verse specifically. Um, one is you see in the second half, it says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is clearly contrasting it with the first half, right? And you see, when it says the wrath of God remains on him, this is clearly, the verse is talking about heaven and hell. It's talking about, will you ha- see heaven and be with God, or will the wrath of God remain on you? And so when you look at this verse, there's no way to get away from the topic that says whoever believes in the Son Eternal life means heaven. Eternal life means eternity with God. And the second reason, this is actually a very simple point. Um, when does this verse say that you have eternal life? Is this, well, it says whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Is <clears throat> has a present or a future. It's a present, right? This is one of the most Striking, amazing things about Christianity as compared to other religions. If you guys uh, know anything about other religions, uh, this would include Islam, this would include Mormonism, uh, this would even include Roman Catholics, is when you become part of this religion, they will say, we are so glad you are now a Muslim. Welcome to the journey to try to get eternal life. Welcome to being a Mormon. You now have the opportunity to find eternal life. And even in Roman Catholicism, they will say, we are so glad that you're a Catholic now. Let's go together and try to get this eternal life. But in Christianity, it says this, you have eternal life. Congratulations, right? It's amazing. It's, it's, it's one of the truths of Christianity is that when you believe, you have this eternal life, Right? So uh, let's talk about, uh, again, these are sim- this is super simple here. Um, but some people like to say, well, yes, of course, when you believe, you have eternal life. But you can lose that eternal life. Now, again, this is not what eternal means, right? Um, if you can believe in Jesus Christ and lose your salvation, you do not have eternal life. You have potentially eternal life just like every other religion will teach. I want you to imagine, um, let's just say you are buying a car, you're at the car dealership, and the salesman is trying to pitch a car to you. And the salesman says this, he says, this car is so amazing, here's what can happen here, is that if you are driving this car, you cannot die. This is the pitch, all right? And you say, wow, this is too good to be true. I will buy at any number. But then, in the fine print in the contract, it says, unless you crash the car, (laughs) unless your body fails, unless anything else happens to you, This is how many people read John 3. But here's the thing, if you can lose eternal life, then it was never eternal life. And so, if you were saved in elementary school, even though, again, you've continued to believe eternal life was yours at the moment you were saved, this is what John 3 says um, I want to, in a bit of, you know, in, in a bit of a, um, not joking way, but in a bit of a, a way that kind of shows how pastors will turn the scripture and make it to sound potential rather than actual, I want to read for you John 3.16, but instead, I'm going to twist it, twisting the scripture, as many pastors do today. All right, are you ready? All right. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should probably not perish, but maybe have eternal life. Congratulations! The gospel is that you can maybe have eternal life. How lame is that? Do you guys agree? That's and that's not the gospel. That's a cheapening of the gospel. And so, if you're asked, um, if if you're asked, can I lose my salvation? Say, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that a believer actually has eternal life when they are saved? So point one, uh, eternal life is eternal. Uh, Reason number two is that Jesus is faithful. Can you please turn with me uh, to John chapter six? And we'll be in verse 37 through 40. Um, This section... I might say this is the most the the best argument for eternal security, maybe in the entire scriptures. Um, let's look at the context of John 6. So in the Gospel of John, there's something rather strange going on. There's something confusing to the audience of Jesus, to Jesus' followers. And it is this that Jesus is doing miracles that are amazing, right? And in this chapter, John six, he has done the miracle of the 5,000. And so you would expect that everyone who saw Jesus multiply food, miraculous works, would be a follower of Jesus, right? One would assume. And yet there's this problem in John where people are following him and they're doing so in a superficial, fake, casual type of way. Uh, If you look right before this verse, this is in verse 26. Jesus calls out his followers, or he calls out many of his followers, and he says this. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So this chapter, Jesus is calling these people out, and he's saying, uh, You are not true followers. You want free food. This is what's happening is Jesus is doing miracles and many follow him out of popularity or many follow him um, because of the benefits that he can give, but most are not his true followers. And so the question similar to the question I raised at the beginning of of my sermon is 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 Jesus losing followers? Are his true followers becoming fake? And let's look at what John uh, 6 verse 37 says. Uh, Let's read it. It says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So uh, this verse, it starts us out, and it explains a relationship between God the Father and God the Son. In verse 37, it explains that anyone who has come to salvation, anyone who has believed in the gospel... Has actually been given from the Father to the Son. Quite an interesting concept to think about. That um, coming to the Lord and salvation, it actually involves the Father giving you to the Son, Jesus Christ. This is what verse 37 says. And then it says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All right. So there's a promise. Jesus If you are, if you have come to him, you will never be cast out. Uh, A little uh, time for your Greek of the day, right? In the Greek, um, this phrase, I will never cast out, this is what's called, we'll call it the double not, the not not. So he's, he's literally saying, I will not not cast out. It means that this is a point of emphasis. Jesus is yelling, I will absolutely never cast these people out. And then he goes on, so he says, he'll never cast out those who have come to him. All right? So the question is, maybe Jesus can't cast you out, but can you cast yourself out through your own action, through your own decision, through your own free will? Let's look at what verse 38 through 40 say. So they say that for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus states something very simple. He states, I'm here to obey the Father. What the Father wants, I will make happen. This is true. The Father desired for the world to see salvation and through Jesus, the world saw salvation. Makes sense, right? Uh, But it says, what is the Father's will here specifically? Verse 39, it says... And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So verse 37 already explained that God the Father gives believers as they come to, to, to the gospel to Jesus. So all that the Father has given him, that is talking about every single true believer that has ever existed. And he says this, the Father wills, the Father wants for you not to lose your salvation. This is what the Father wants. He desires that you, and it's not just a desire, it's something that will happen. He says, you won't lose your salvation. And if this couldn't be more clear, it says that he that, that should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What does this mean? The exact will of the Father is that you would go from believing in Jesus Christ, go through your life, growing in Jesus Christ, and go to glory. So this is the will of God. That you would stay a Christian to a Christian. That we would make it from now till the end times still being saved by Jesus Christ. This is the will. If you didn't get it the first time, there's a repetition. Verse 40. This is the will of my Father that anyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Right? I don't have to explain that eternal life is eternal again. And then it says, and I will raise him up. On the last day, the Father's exact will is that if you're saved, you will be raised up on the last day. There's no way you can get around this. So, um, let's, as we, I want you to think about the implications of this verse. If you're asking yourself the question, can I lose my salvation? That is not a good question. The question is, is Jesus faithful? Because it says, quite frankly, it says, um, losing your salvation is as possible as Jesus disobeying God the Father. All right? So the only question you have to ask is, will Jesus obey God? Right? And let's take a moment to kind of reflect on this truth. Right? Because um, <clears throat> sometimes doubting your salvation is actually a very self-aware thing to do. I mean, if you look at your life, you see, even this is, we're close to the New Year's. And every year, you see yourself make resolutions that you fail. And every year, you see yourself sin. Every year, you see yourself being led astray by false teaching. And so, what if your goal for the year is to remain a Christian? And you fail all your other goals, right? And so you have to admit before we get started that if there's any possibility that you could mess up your salvation, you would, right? And so thanks be to God that this verse clearly says that there's this, that your security has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. Your faithfulness does not matter. It's entirely the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, right? Such an amazing truth. So uh, as we turn to our next point, again, uh, at this point in the Gospel of John, uh, this is pretty, it's a pretty open and shut case, in my opinion. Um, yet we still have to answer and build on the argument and answer the question. So what about my friends? What about the people that we've grown up around who seem like they've fallen away? What about people who say, I've deconstructed my faith? What about them? Right? So this is, um, this is in John chapter 8, Let's read verse 31 and 32. So the reason number three that um, believers are eternally secure is that true disciples remain. Right. This is explaining what happens when, when it looks like someone has fallen away. Let's read these verses. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had truly, or sorry, who had believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free." Right? Um, we have something that I think most modern pastors would find uh, something that they would never say. Uh, most people would never talk to a group of seeming disciples and say, "If you abide, if you stay." If you continue, you are truly disciples, right? Uh, we already briefly discussed in John chapter six how this is a theme of John, how there's a lot of fake believers in the gospel of John. There's a lot of people who are impressed by the signs, who want the benefits of Jesus, but don't actually believe in him. Let me read for you uh, real quick a, a section from John chapter two. This, this is So, um, so, so heavily a theme in the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter two, verse twenty-three. We can have it on perfect. Uh, It says this: uh, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Just read verse twenty-three. Awesome. Many believed in the name of Jesus. Isn't this amazing? Look at what verse 24 says. It says, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So, in the Gospel of John, it's pretty clear that there are a huge amount of followers of God that are actually not followers of God. There's a, there are a large portion of people who say they're disciples but are not true disciples. And this is a theme, right? Because um, in, in, I mean, this is common today. And I think this is, this is a pretty key point here, is that the reason this debate about can you lose your salvation, I think is even common, is because people don't understand what it means to be a Christian, People, I think that, oh, they made a profession of faith when they were younger. Obviously, they're a Christian. They got baptized. Obviously, they're a Christian. They sat next to me in church. Obviously, they're a Christian. But none of the Bible writers, none of the uh, Gospels have that view of salvation. In fact, there's constant warnings that many people in the Gospel of John, are not saved. And the same is true for the American church today. Many people that you will grow up with in church, many people who look like Christians, are not Christians. And so uh, this is probably the greatest danger of preaching eternal security. Because how, how awful it is for me as a preacher to say to someone, you are eternally secure you were never saved in the first place. Right? Um, so as a preacher I, and, and as, as a Bible studyer, we have to be fair. I have to warn you that, again, a, lot of, a large portion of the American church today is made up of superficial believers who are not saved. And again, similar to John's gospel, there's a lot of great reasons to go to church apart from Jesus Christ, actually, believe it or not. Um, We live in a messed up world and so maybe attending church will help your kids turn out better. Maybe uh, it's fun to be in a community of people with fairly good morals. It's a social event. Uh, it It helps fill a void in meaning. But we have to see from the Bible that if you are a superficial believer in Jesus, please do not convince yourself that you have eternal life. Please do not fall into a false sense of security because you are around Christians or because you hear biblical teaching or maybe you even think that God is real. And I, I would urge you, if, if you haven't truly believed today, repent of your old life and trust in Jesus Christ as the Bible explains. A believer is not just this, I believe in the idea of Jesus, but I truly trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation, for sin. So to summarize, the Gospels are very aware of people who claim to be believers and fall away. And Jesus puts them in a category of never believing. Meaning in scriptures, uh, there's, only two, there's, there's only two categories. There are those who are once saved, always saved, and those who are never saved. In the scripture, it does explain that many people who are never saved give off a look of salvation for a time, but yet they do not remain. So reason number four, again, uh, we, we already went through eternal life is eternal. Talked about the fact that Jesus is faithful. We talked about the fact that true believers remain. Reason number four is that God will keep his sheep. This is a direct promise from John 10. Please turn there with me. John 10, 27. Through 30. So in this section, this is uh, the famous section where Jesus compares himself and he calls himself the good shepherd. He calls himself the shepherd of his sheep. The sheep are true believers. The sheep are those that he protects, all right? Let's read the section. It says, verse 27, "'My sheep hear my voice,' And I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. <clears throat> so we clear, well, <coughs> sorry. So we see, we see a clear section of a promise That if you are in the flock, no one is able to snatch you out from the Father's hand. Let's look in verse 27 to start. Um, We have to address this verse first because many people who will tell you you can lose your salvation love to overplay this verse. It says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So many pastors who will say you can lose your salvation they'll look at the section and they will say, these promises are only for those who are hearing the voice of God. Do you hear the voice of God? Because your life sure doesn't look like it. And do you truly follow Jesus with all of your actions? Because if not, you're losing your salvation. Um, That greatly overplays the analogy we have here, right? In fact, uh, this year I have the privilege of um, in my life, my favorite sermon illustration has been born this year. My son Preston, right, and this this is a perfect illustration. Uh, Preston has recently got into a phase of eating objects off the ground, right? Rocks, sticks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? And um, when he goes to eat a rock, for example, um, if again he will hear. My voice, or Cassie's voice, will say, "Preston." And in that moment, he has the rock in his hand, and he hears. He hears our voice. He knows, this is, these are the people raising me. There's no question that he hears our voice. Yet, the decision of obedience is a little more in the, up in the air, right? Uh, The analogy is the exact same for sheep, right? No one would say, no shepherd would describe their flock and say, my sheep hear my voice. This is voice recognition. This is not perfect obedience. This is not that there's no prone to wander aspect of sheep. That's one of the biggest characteristics of sheep, all right? So there's no reason to say this is a works-based security. And then verse 28 it says this, I give them <clears throat> eternal life in the future if they're good. No, no. And then it says this, they will never perish. Let's go back to the Greek. We have our friend, the not, not again, right? This, this uh, construction where it causes emphasis, where there's a strong statement being made, it doesn't always happen in the Bible. But strangely, It happens in two passages that are talking about eternal security. This is why if you ask, even though there's a fair Bible study needed for this topic, but if you ask any of the pastors of this church, can you lose your salvation, I bet you would get a strong no. Absolutely not. Why? Because the scripture says absolutely not. It says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then it, it, it relates to the fact that the father and the son are one. It says, guess what? The father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Um, so my friends, um, is anyone able to snatch you out of the father's hand? The, the verse is clearly no. But again, people will say, well, no one outside of you can snatch you from the flock, but you can leave the flock yourself. Your own actions, your own free will can cause you to leave the flock and, and this will not be stopped, right? Um, there, you hear a similar argument. Again, we're not, we're not talking about Paul today, but uh, you hear a similar argument for Romans 8, right? I want to, how about this? I'll, I'll give you guys a quick quiz, a Romans 8 quiz. I don't know if you ever read it, but in the end of Romans 8, The question is this, what can separate you from the love of God? What is is the biblical answer here? Anyone say nothing? Right? And they'll say the exact same thing. Nothing except your own free will and your own actions. It's not what the verse says. And you'll hear this argument, right? So how do we address it? Well, uh, the first thing is we have to look at verse 28. Look carefully, all right? When it says strongly they will never perish, is there a qualification given? Is this from anything external to you or yourself, right? And they'll make this division. They'll say nothing outside of yourself can take you from the flock, but you can take yourself from the flock. So if you ever hear this argument from people and you say, Well, you can remove yourself from the flock. I would encourage you to offer to babysit their children, right? Kind of a weird offer. And say, hey, I will keep them safe from anything external to themselves, right? I will protect them from bear attacks. I will protect them from strangers. I will protect them from natural disaster. Wouldn't you just want to slap that person? Be like, hey, listen, my child, my grandchild, the number one thing you're looking for is danger that they inflict on themselves. Does this make sense? Does everyone agree, right? When you hire a babysitter, the main thing you're looking for is, hey, this child likes to stick objects in the outlet. This child likes to fall off of things. Please protect them from themselves. We are the exact same. We are the exact same. Um, The main danger of our salvation is us doing something to ourselves, us being foolish and saying the gospel isn't for me. And that is why John 10 is very strong. It says they will never perish. This is absolutely never perish for any reason at all. Right? This is what scripture says. All right, uh, let's talk about reason number five and that is that God chose believers to persevere. That God in his sovereignty is not uh, just in control of some things, but he is also in control of if you continue in the faith, believe it or not. Uh, let's look to John chapter 15. So in John chapter 15, if you, if you show someone John 10, um, and they uh, oftentimes, and you say, look, The father keeps his sheep. They will never perish for any reason at all. Oftentimes, they will run off to John 15. John 15 is the one section of scripture where people will use this to say and to show that um, you can lose your salvation. But there is nowhere to run here. You cannot run from John 10 and go to John 15 because John 15 says the same thing. Uh, let's look at the vine analogy. Let's actually start uh, in verse five because we don't have to go time to go through the whole vine analogy. But here's what it says, verse five. Oh, I don't have it up on the screen. It's all right. Uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse six, but if anyone does not abide in me, he is sh- thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Here are the basics of the analogy, is that Christ is the vine and anyone connected to the vine, it says there's two options for you. You can either stay, you can remain in the faith and you will produce fruit or you do not abide, you'll be cut off and thrown into the fire. So people will use this and they'll say, look, there's two types of people in the vine There are people, they're all believers because they're all connected to Jesus in the vine, but some are punished to eternal destruction and some abide and bear fruit, right? So uh, the whole explanation rides on the assumption that all in the vine are actually saved. So you just have to assume that to use this as proof. Here's the problem. That is not biblical. You cannot make that assumption. And this does not fit with the use of the vine analogy, right? Um, We, you don't have to turn there, but there's several illustrations in the Old Testament of the vine, the true vine, being Israel. Isaiah 5, one through five is an example where it says the Lord plants this vineyard, the Lord plants this with choice vines, and then it says... These vines produced wild grapes, and so because of that, they, uh, it says, God will remove its hedge, break down its wall, and it will be trampled down. So the analogy is pretty clear, is that in the Old Testament, the vine was Israel. In the New Testament, the true vine was Jesus. So um, in the Bible, is it clear Does does everyone who belonged to the vine of Israel, every person who belonged to God's chosen people, will we see them all in heaven? No. All have a superficial connection to God. All are actually connected to the vine. But some are true believers. Some are not. So if that works in the Old Testament, why would Why would it not be the same in the New Testament? Especially given the context of what John 15 is talking about. Uh, John 15 is in the upper room. This is right before Jesus dies. And what is very, very close to the situation? The fact that Judas Iscariot was about to betray Jesus. Someone who was as close of a connection to Jesus as could be. He was one of the 12. It seemed that in the Gospel of John, none of the other disciples even suspected him of not being a true disciple. And so, even the context shows that people in the vine is anyone who has a superficial connection to Jesus Christ. I would say we all here are in the vine. If you have some sort of connection to Jesus Christ, if you go to a Christian church, if you hear the teachings of Jesus, if you see the work of the Holy Spirit in people around you, you are a part of the vine. And yet, it says that if you are not, if you do not abide as John 8 talked about, you will show yourself to not really be a true believer, right? But let's look at verse 16. And verse 16 is something I haven't heard addressed a lot by by people who Again, claim to, say that you can lose your salvation. Verse 16 says this. You did not choose me, this is Jesus talking, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the uh, the Father in my name, he will give to you. Uh, Do you know what is amazing? Is that God controls everything. And this includes whether you stay a Christian. And most, some people would disagree with that, but verse 16 directly says this. It says, you did not choose me, meaning uh, you are not actively as a Christian making the choice, do I want to continue to follow God or do I not? Meaning, uh, you, it's not like that you can choose to fall away because it says this, I chose you. And appointed you, specifically it says, that you should go <clears throat> and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. So part of God's sovereignty, part of God's choosing, (coughs) is that uh, true believers would abide. True disciples would stay, right? And so fitting in with the categories that John 8 already gave, there's only you're a believer and you'll stay a believer. Or maybe you looked like a believer, but you never were a believer, right? And again, this is, again, I, I so appreciate ending that John ends on a simple point is that wait, God's in control. God is in control of your security. God is in control if you fall away or not and God has said this will not happen, right? And so um, so point five, um, it really really caps off our study. So as we close today, uh, I want to, uh, again, if I could have the, the five points back up on the screen for me. Um, I, I truly believe that each of these points in their own is, is a very strong argument, but as a whole, there's just, there's, it's unshakable. There's, the gospel is unshakable, and eternal security is unshakable, right? So here's our summary. One, uh, five, five reasons that true believers are secure. Uh, one, eternal life is eternal. Jesus is faithful. True disciples remain. God will keep his sheep. God chose believers to persevere, to continue to remain. Um, I, again, um, it's such a blessing uh, to see God's faithfulness, right? Um, So three closing points for you today. Uh, The first closing point, uh, I I want us to remember and and think about those who fall away and remember uh, this fact is that we have to understand that many who claim Christ in the church today are superficial believers and will not receive eternal life. And that's it's sad to see, but we have to have this in mind. We have to realize that just like in John, in John's gospel, many are casual, superficial believers and these are not true disciples. So uh, because of this, point number two, we're called to stay faithful. Um, the Bible even though God is in control and even even though you cannot lose your salvation, the Bible says, well, because of that, continue in the faith. Because of the peace of the security of Christ, grow, continue in the word. And then point number three is rest and be thankful in the truth that security lies not in your own faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of God. The fact is that John teaches that um, Jesus did not just come to earth to save, just as a savior. He was also, John 6, a keeper. Meaning Jesus was not just sent to earth to save the world and say, here is the opportunity to be saved. Now keep the salvation. But Jesus is not only your savior, but Jesus is your keeper. Right? Such a blessing. Because again, on our own, We are destined to forsake our savior. We're destined to wander. We're destined to dive into whatever sin that we did before salvation. And so thanks be to God that it is not about us, but it is about him, right? And uh, the gospel is not a shaky gospel. This isn't something where um, you're maybe saved. You maybe have eternal life. You potentially have eternal life. Thanks be to God that if we believe we actually have eternal life. Bow your heads with me, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for not only being our savior, but our keeper, Lord. Um, I thank you for revealing this clearly to us in the gospel of John, that our security, us being Christian and staying Christian that we would never fall away. That isn't about us. That's about you. That's about your faithfulness and your goodness. And so thankful, uh, thank you so much that our security uh, is all about your faithfulness. Um, thank you that your faithfulness uh, remains and that we'll, we will be kept to the last day. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.